to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. I'm Karen Wrightmarsh, and this is the place to find beautiful and broken companions for your everyday pilgrimage. Do you wonder if Christian faith can be truly lived in today's complex and changing world? Well, here you'll meet embodied witnesses, Christians from different eras and different cultures. They're people we sometimes call saints, but they were also sinners, just like you and me. Today, I'm here to tell you the story of Brother Lawrence with Professor and Pastor Lauren Winner. I'm happy you're here with us. Brother Lawrence never fit the image of an otherworldly saint, kneeling in a quiet church, eyes lifted to heaven in uninterrupted prayer. No, he was down in the kitchen scouring pots and pans. This unexpected saint lived in 17th century France during the brutal Thirty Years' War. Born a peasant and named Nicholas Herman, he was so poor that he joined the military only for the meals and pocket money. The hapless guy was captured by the enemy and then released, only to be gravely injured in battle. Disabled by a chronic limp, the young man was of no more use to the army. He managed to find work as a footman to a prominent banker, but known as a great, awkward fellow who broke everything, he failed at that too. A brief stint as a religious hermit was another disaster. He could not endure the solitary life. Finally, at the age of 55, the discouraged, agitated war veteran showed up at the Discalced Carmelite Monastery in Paris, home to an order of monks dedicated to austere prayer and contemplation. This was his last resort. He'd willingly sacrifice whatever life he had left in him to God and to the community. With no education and no pedigree, Nicholas Herman had no chance of becoming a monk, much less a priest, but the Carmelites took him in as a lay brother and gave him the new name, Lawrence of the Resurrection. Brother Lawrence struggled to observe the Carmelites' rigorous spiritual exercises, but he found that he just couldn't pray according to a structured rule like the others did. He sat through mandatory meditation, but after it was over, he had absolutely no idea what it had been about. His spirit was troubled and ashamed, for he dearly wanted to honor God. After all his earlier failures, he wondered, was he a lost cause again? The monastery's novice master put Brother Lawrence's devotion and steadfastness to the test by assigning him to strenuous menial work. Determined, Lawrence declared, I am in the hands of God, and he did as he was told. In this way, humble Lawrence, the lowest-ranking member of his small society, came to be known as the servant of the servants of God. 
Brother Lawrence confessed that he had a serious aversion to doing kitchen work. But love it or hate it, he'd been assigned to scullery duty. So there he toiled among the scalding pots and greasy pans, day in and day out. Brother Lawrence still wrestled, insecure in his piety. Then he had a breakthrough. He realized that he could simply do no more than love God. So why compare himself to the other monks? Lawrence made a decision. I resolved to give my all for God's all, he said. I renounced for the love of God everything that was not God, and I began to live as if there was none but God and me in the world. The kitchen servant began a bold spiritual experiment, a method he called the practice of the presence of God. His goal was to be mindful of God's gracious presence in every day, in every single thought, in every moment, and to do everything, however mundane, for God's sake. Now Lawrence encountered God far from the enforced reverence of the hushed chapel. For him, the action was down in a sweltering kitchen where people rushed through, guests clamored to be served, dirty platters piled up. Even amidst the chaos, Lawrence had the only qualifications he needed for his spiritual project. This was his revelation. It's not necessary to be super smart or have great expertise to go to God. All you need is a heart simply determined to adore God. Brother Lawrence practiced a focused awareness of God right where he was. He behaved very simply with God. He spoke frankly to God, asking God for help along the way. God was no abstract object of reverence, but a palpable, constant, and supporting personal presence. Year after year, Brother Lawrence turned his soul toward God. He grew into this practice of mindfulness, an inner habit of conversing continually with God in all that he did, down to the smallest action, to the point where he said, It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Lawrence spent all of his days as the servant of the servants, and the entire community depended on him. If a job needed doing, he'd do it. People described him as a warm person who inspired confidence, a friend to whom they could disclose anything. Underneath his coarse exterior, the kind brother always spoke with common sense and a singular wisdom. Lawrence urged others to practice the presence of God. He told others, God is already an ever-present companion. Simply cultivate that inward friendship. You'd think it rude to leave a visiting friend to herself. Why abandon the God who has come to be with you? Welcome God into your thoughts, even at your meals and when you are in company. It doesn't take much. Your smallest remembrance will always be acceptable to God. You need not cry very loud. God is closer than you know. Brother Lawrence never did come to enjoy kitchen work or limping through the crowded Paris streets on monastery errands. But, he said, we must make our faith alive and by faith rise above our feelings. He humbly did the work that needed to be done. 
and through it all, continued his conversation with God. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is the audio companion to my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners, 25 Christians Who Transformed My Faith. To learn more, visit my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes and invite your friends to join us. Now for my conversation about Brother Lawrence with Lauren Winner. Well, I am thrilled to welcome Lauren Winner to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. Lauren is a historian, an author, a lecturer, and an Episcopal priest. She is Associate Professor of Christian Spirituality at Duke Divinity School. Lauren Winner has written a number of terrific books, including Girl Meets God, Mudhouse Sabbath, Still, Notes on a Midlife Crisis, which I recommend, and a book on biblical tropes for God calling Wearing God. Her most recent book is The Dangers of Christian Practice. Lauren's kind-heartedness is evidenced by the fact that she generously wrote the foreword to my own book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. So welcome, Lauren, to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So Lauren, my grandmother loved Brother Lawrence. So he's somebody I've heard of for a long time. And I'm interested to know sort of how you got to know the work of Brother Lawrence and maybe personally what has drawn you in or pushed you away? Yeah, so I first read about and then began to read Brother Lawrence, I mean, probably over 20 years ago now. There was this like spate of books that were published with titles like The Zen of Housekeeping. So as reading all these sort of mindfulness of housekeeping books, I was in my very early 20s living in an apartment in New York when I was in graduate school and was very attracted to the idea of the spirituality of the everyday. And and I think in part, um, so I grew up Jewish and was an observant Jew before I became a Christian. I was baptized when I was 21. And I actually hadn't put this together until right this second, but I think that part of my reading in my early 20s in sort of all of this spirituality of the everyday, spirituality of the kitchen, spirituality of the household, was in part this kind of unarticulated and and semi-conscious awareness that Judaism and Jewish practice is very much a religion of the household. There, of course, there is synagogue and synagogue worship, corporate worship with other people at the house of prayer is very important, but there's just a thick and robust and rich life of religious practice in, in the home and this constant sanctifying of eating and and regulations about what your clothing, what kind of fabric they can be, can be made of and, and, you know, which foods can be eaten with which foods. And I think from the outside to some Christians, some of those regulations look, you know, quote unquote legalistic or look stringent somehow. And there is a stringency to them, of course, but I think the beating heart of all of that covenantal law is about sanctifying the everyday and turning all of those everything days, food, fabric, and so forth, turning it to the Lord and seeing in all of that everyday choreography um, an opportunity to find intimacy with the Lord. 
And so I, I think that at that time in my early 20s, when I was pretty much a brand new Christian and was like super excited to be a Christian, but also profoundly missed certain things about that Jewish choreography sure. um, that I was yeah. looking in Brother Lawrence and maybe even in some of these like Zen of Housekeeping books for, okay, well, I'm not observing all of the halakha or any of the halakha. I'm not keeping kosher. I'm not observing these regulations about fabric and et cetera, et cetera. Is there a way to still find find that my daily life is hallowed and the life of my household is hallowed? So I think that that's the sort of space where I first came to Brother Lawrence. Yeah. I, it's fascinating to hear you speak of this because I came... I think to the same with the same longing to see the everyday as as the sacred uh, space. Uh, when my boys, when Henry and Will were really really little, and just these wild beings, little toddlers making messes all day, and I, you know, I felt like every day was just chasing them around, and I I started thinking like, what's it for? You know, I'm just raising these children to raise other children to make more messes, and so I started casting around for. Sort of some kind of spirituality that really spoke to that. So, Brother Lawrence, I think, kind of re- reappeared after having heard of him as a as a child, as a spiritual teacher who really made my daily dishwashing have that meaning that I felt like it was there, but I just couldn't put my finger on it. It didn't fit the categories that I'd been given as sort of the evangelical Christian uh, of my childhood. But don't you think, Karen, that there's a way in which Brother Lawrence has been sort of sentimentalized and in some ways sort of reduced to to what each of us has just said? I mean, the sort of the saint of the kitchen and the saint of baking. I actually think his his textual corpus uh, and what we know about his life is somewhat more complicated and bracing than that. You know, that famous quotation that people often quote from him of, I cook my little omelet in the pan for the glory of God, which is great. That's fabulous. There's a reason that quotation is so famous. It is fabulous to think of making an omelet as being, you know, something that one can do for the glory of God. But I think that, you know, that maybe is not all there is. Yeah. Well, you know, that's so true. I think that's a very, very good point. And when I read him to students, undergrads here at the University of Virginia, and I think there's a passage about how he's, he had this idea, you know, of practicing the presence of God, of learning to be mindful of God in every moment. And just sort of in passing, he says, you know, the first 10 years were very, very difficult and I suffered greatly and I failed. So I was like, wait, hold on. Did you hear what he just said? You know, he is, he has this incredibly difficult vision of of what his hope is, what his spirituality is. It's not right. It's cooking omelets, but yeah, it's a very sophisticated and challenging project that he's undertaking. And even after 10 years, he's still at it. Yeah. And I think alongside that in his, in his text, something that he makes clear is that he didn't, he didn't have any great love or skill at this kitchen work. And I think there's a scene, am I remembering rightly, that there's a scene where he is sent to, like, purchase wine for his monastery? Am I remembering that rightly? And that he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't think of himself as, like, good at that, and he doesn't want to do it. So there's a way in which I think there's there's something that's really in tension with the way we currently talk about vocation and the sense that we are, Mm. we have, I think, this language of 
God gifts us with particular giftings and skills. God calls us maybe not to like a particular job title, but like there's some vocational trajectory that particularly like in college, we're supposed to figure out what that is and pursue that. And it's right. supposed to be the thing we love, but that we're also gifted and skilled at and gifted for. And there's a way in which like that isn't true of him. <laughs> He's really clear. At all. I mean, his passion was not, uh, you know, scrubbing pots. That was not his passion or his gift. (laughs) Well, I'd like to talk for a minute about how do you see Brother Lawrence's teaching and his witness and his spiritual project? How does that fit in with what you know of today's mindfulness and meditation techniques and teaching? Mm -hmm. There's this wonderful passage where he writes that it's something like this is not an exact quotation but something like i don't have a particular spiritual discipline or prayer discipline except for the disciplines that i have as a brother of this community and i think that is just a key key passage in brother lawrence because that little phrase except for the prayer disciplines i have as a member of this community we're talking about i believe eight sets of corporate worship a day (laughs) yes so he says in this way that i think many of us might feel is very freeing like okay i have abandoned the attempt to have (laughs) spiritual disciplines in my life i'm just gonna have the omelet thing except for except for what i do as a member of this community and i won't speak for you i don't pray eight times a day in a disciplined fashion i certainly don't pray with a community eight times a day i don't pray with a community eight times a week I think the real insight there is that his capacity to have this constant awareness of the presence of God, this quotidian intimacy with God, that capacity is nurtured in him because he has this edifice or structure of a spiritual rule that is the life of his community. And... I very rarely experience, just to stick with the omelet example, I very rarely experience making an omelet as an offering to God. I feel really confident that I would experience it that way more if I were praying with the community eight times a day. So I think the the key there about mindfulness is that it it does actually still require a discipline and a habit. But once you have that discipline and a habit, so rooted in you that it that it only merits like a clause in your written text it's just it has become it really has become a habit it really has become your basic choreography then all of this awareness is possible and i you know i just don't think it's for nothing that the text is called the practice of the presence of god right there's still a practice and it seems to me that that his individual spiritual life is inseparable from that communal prayer habit. I think that is such an important point because you can read it on its own and you miss that illusion there. And it feels like this completely interior experience that it's just me and God. But as you said, he's spending his whole day in and out of the chapel, you know, praying with the community. And if we don't see that, we've missed such an important uh, part of the whole picture. So Brother Lawrence, of course, practicing the presence of God is what he's all about is that part of your understanding of your own spiritual life or personal life lauren what does that look like for you 
Well, I think that I can aspire to it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the the place in my own individual spiritual life where I maybe most feel directly resonant with Brother Lawrence is actually been filtered to me through a poem by, by Denise Levertov. And I believe the poem is just called Brother Lawrence by, by Denise Levertov. And part of what she writes in that poem, I'll just, if I may, I'll just give you the first few lines. Please. She writes, What leafless tree plunging into what pent sky was it convinced you spring bound to return in all its unlikelihood was a word of God a divine message a particular tree one day in your 18th winter said more an oracle so she's writing there about his his conversion that he he recounts so he had this conversion when he was 18 that he describes as being about seeing a tree and knowing that the tree's capacity to be rejuvenated in springtime, that this showed him something about God's God's renewal of, of humanity through Jesus Christ. And so he has this conversion at 18. And I think there are two things that I really love about this conversion. So one is he has that conversion at 18 and it's not until he's like 40 that he enters the monastery. So a development of his spiritual life that that late adolescent conversion was essential and was extremely important but it wasn't all there was to say about the matter you know that that he he goes on in midlife to enter a new stage of his religious life and both both of those points of turning i think are are equally important and then there's a second thing in brother lawrence's spirituality that i am quite taken by that that levertov really focuses our attention on He's able to see God in the specificity of, of any one afternoon of mopping the kitchen or any one afternoon of, of making a meal. And she connects that to his conversion and says, all, you know, all trees get a new life every spring. All trees bud and turn green and have apples or flowers or fruits. But somehow God used one specific tree on one particular day of his, of his 18th or 19th year to show him something and I think that's there's something very profound there about the way incarnational logic works I hope that that at a few future points in my life there are some of those specific moments where God gives me the vision of a particular tree or a you know that God sort of shimmers something up out of the ordinary landscape to say this is just an ordinary thing that happens as part of nature but I'm going to show you something in this tree on this day so so that moment and that you know his conversion story is in some ways in some ways not very related to the things that we read him for but i think there's this deep similarity in it's not just god in the everyday it's god in the in the specifics right and to be present to that when it happens so that when the tree is before you you see it <laughs> you know that you were paying attention absolutely in that moment Thank you for recounting your relationship with Brother Lawrence and for helping us to remember his, his words and his perspective on our time and, and on our everyday experience. You're welcome, and thank you for the invitation to think about him.
everyone around Brother Lawrence had told him he was a loser. He was no kind of soldier. He was a clumsy footman. He couldn't even make it as a hermit. He persuaded the Carmelites to give him room and board, even though he seemed too dumb to learn the liturgy. But then God slowly transformed Lawrence's point of view. That beaten down man realized that no public recognition, no regimen of study, discipline, or self-denial would ever take the place of a constant conversation with God, the practice of the presence of God. Brother Lawrence reminds me that the gifts of this day are not measured in terms of greatness. Tasks simply must be done, but God is present, close, loving. And it remains for me only to pay attention again and again and again. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, the Executive Director of Theological Horizons, a ministry based in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. I'd love to hear from you. Come by my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. There you'll find show notes and learn about my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. Download free printable study guides for your small group or just for yourself and keep the conversation going. Thanks to the generosity of the Lloyd and Vivian Noble Foundation and to the Friends of Theological Horizons. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang. Our music is by Will Marsh of Gold Connections.